the greatest commandment ever. Last week, here on Graceful Truth, Pastor Steve Converse gave us a look at that question the Pharisees gave Jesus. Now, what we're looking at is the answer. Join us, Graceful Truth is next. Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. Greetings and welcome to Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. Our time together will take us back to the greatest commandment ever. It can be found here in Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40. And today we're going to take a look at the answer that Jesus gives to the greatest commandment question and the significance of this answer. Join us for an encouraging look at love. Here's Pastor Steve Converse with today's broadcast of Graceful Truth. The command, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Mark adds, with all your strength. That's part of what they call the Shema, Hebrew for hear. And they hear, O Israel. That's, that's basically, it's coming out of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 9. Deuteronomy 11, verses uh, 13 to 21. It's another version in Numbers chapter 15. There's another one. But see, in Jesus' day, the faithful Jew would recite that Shema twice a day. And they would actually take that portion of Scripture out of Deuteronomy and they'd copy it on pieces of parchment. And they'd put it on their little phylacteries they used to wear around their head. And they'd put it on their, on their head or they'd put it on their, their left arms. And they'd bind themselves up with these things so that everybody would see, oh, that's the Word of God. You have it on your head, you have it on your arm. And so there were, this was a big thing. You know, I mean, we, we believe in memorizing Scripture and we believe in all that. But, you know, it would be a little weird if we started pasting post-it notes with Scripture, you know, written on our foreheads. I mean, that would just be a little odd. But that's literally what they did. And so Jesus says here, I'm literally declaring to you that the great commandment is the commandment of Moses. That all of you recite twice a day. That's what he's saying. And not only that, but you probably bind it on your forearms and your foreheads. And so they're very familiar with this. This wasn't something that was just out of the blue. But let's look at what this says. It says, you shall love the Lord your God. That word for love there is rather interesting because it means not only a strong emotion, but it also means an act of your will, an act of your intellect, a determined intellectual choice to love. It's not based on just your emotions. It may entail that, but it's not just based on your your emotions. In the New Testament, it would be the agape love. It's a committed love. It's a purposeful love. It's an intelligent love. It's something that you choose to do. It's not something that maybe even sometimes you feel like doing. You know, the, the one that you feel all the time is what? Phileo love, right? That's that. And then eros love is, is the uh, sensual love. But here he says, don't just love the Lord your God emotionally, but choose to love him with your intellect, with your mind. And I think that that's important for us to understand today, especially the day and age we live in today. You know, if you can't see it, then it's not worth entertaining. And yet God is real, beloved. He's not some just being out there nowhere and has nothing to do with anybody. He's intimately involved in our lives on a daily basis. And so that love that we're to have for him should come from an act of our will. We should choose to love him because he is the only one and true God. And it tells us how. How should we love him? 
It says there, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, and your mind. And as I said, Mark over in Mark 12, 30 adds the word strength. And these aren't three different kinds of love. This, these are, you might say, just different elements of that love that we have for the Lord. Okay, they're not three or four different kinds of love that you have. Okay, you have to love them with your heart. That's one kind of the soul. No, it's speaking of the entire love, but it's describing it in different ways. See, in the ancient Hebrews, the, the heart referred to the core of one's personal being. That's who you were in your heart. In the book of Proverbs In chapter 4, verse 23, it says, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. It's your whole being. That's what they refer to as your heart. The term soul is really what we would call our emotions. The seed of our emotions. It's the word that when Jesus cried out in the Garden of Gethsemane, remember, my my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about his emotional seat. And mind obviously corresponds to what is translated uh, in, in Deuteronomy 6, 5, might. And the Hebrew term had a broad, broad understanding and carried with it the general idea of moving ahead with energy and strength. And here it's, it's actually used to have that kind of a sense of intellectual determination to love God, carrying both the meaning of endeavor and of strength. See, the, the genuine love of God, the genuine love of the Lord, is, is not just one facet. It's multifaceted. It's intelligent. It's feeling. It's willing. It's serving. It's all those things. It involves thought and sensitivity, intent. God never just, you know, wants from us empty words. And that's what they were doing. Twice a day, they were reciting this Shema to God. And Jesus is pointing out to them, you know what? There's more than just words here. It means a little more. And just as God loves us with his whole being, he wants us to love him with, his, with our whole being. I mean, that's why John 3.16 says what it says. That God so loved, that's the word, that he loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son for the redemption. I mean, you can see how deep the love of God for us is. Godly love, whether it's as his love for man or man's love for him, either way, it's measured by what it gives. Not by what it gets. It doesn't love based on what you're going to reap as a result of that. James reminds us that even the demons believe, right, that God exists. But instead of rejoicing in that belief, it says they shudder. See, there's a, there's a mark, beloved, of the distinguished faith, a believing faith, a belief in God, in the love of God. Faith in Jesus Christ has to be characterized by a consuming love for Him. Because if it doesn't, then it's not faith at all. Definitely not saving faith. See, that's what makes salvation such an incredible thing. When you are saved, when God opens your eyes to the gospel, and he transforms you out of the darkness into the light, he transforms you, he changes you. He gives you a new will, a new desire, a new attitude. And and that attitude is fixated on a deep love for God that you never had before. I always get worried when I talk to people about their faith, and I say, well, how long have you been a Christian? Oh, I've been a Christian all my life. I say, what? What do you mean? You know, did you mean you got saved at a young age? Or, well, no, I just, I've just always been a Christian. That just makes me nervous. Because I'm thinking, you're, what you're telling me is there's no transformation. You've always been this way. That might be a problem. John makes love for God the true mark of a believer. You see that in John 14. You see it in 1 John. See, 
it's, it's so important to us that we have not only a love for each other, but a love for God. Turn over to that passage in, in 1 John. It's just such a good, basic understanding of what God expects from those who are saved, truly converted. 1 John chapter 2. Look at what he says in verse 3. And by this we know that we have come to know Him, know God, know Christ. If we what? Keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments is a what? A liar. The truth is not in Him. But whoever keeps His word, in Him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in Him. Are you sitting there this morning wondering if you're saved or you're not? Are you wondering, boy, do do I have this salvation? Am I Christ or not? I I don't understand. It says in verse 6, Whoever says that he abides in him ought to what? Walk in the same manner, the same way in which he walked. It's not rocket science. If you call yourself a Christian, then you should live like Christ. You should follow him. You should be obedient to him. And John goes on there. He says, I'm not writing you something new. This isn't a new commandment. In John 14, 15, Jesus says, if you love me, you will what? Keep my commandments. You mean all 613? What if I mess up? He's not saying that. He's simply saying, you know what? You're going to have an interest in the things of God. Because remember, the law was not given to be kept, right? All those laws were given to show our inability to keep it. That's the whole point. So you don't want to leave here going, okay, I got better... You know, sit down and figure out those 613 laws and and start commandments and start keeping them. Or I'm not a Christian. No, that's not what we're talking about. Basically, he boils it all down for us right here in this text. A person who belongs to God loves God and therefore obeys God. 1 Corinthians 16.22 describes the unbeliever this way. Anyone who does not love the Lord. Who's an unbeliever? Anyone who does not love the Lord. True love of God declares... With Paul in, in Romans seven fifteen, for that which I am doing I do not understand, for I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. See, he, he understands that, you know what, I'm doing something that I shouldn't be doing. I'm doing something that's showing that I do not love God, and I, I don't want to do it anymore. We need to love what is right. And that was the total opposite attitude of the scribes and the Pharisees. They repeatedly conde- they were, uh, Jesus repeatedly condemned them for making great pretense in their love for God on the outside, right? But on the inside, there was nothing there. You know, we would call that what? Hypocrisy, right? Uh, saying that you're a Christian and yet living like you're not. Even though they recited this, I'll love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, meticulously, regularly, every day, Jesus is pointing out to them, you know what? It's not good enough just to have it roll off your lips like that. I mean, I grew up in a church where I could, you know, I could say the Our Father in seconds and then move on to the Hail Mary and, you know, go through the whole thing. I can do it in my sleep backwards. I mean, it was just a, just a, a rote thing that I did, thinking that somehow that was going to earn favor with God. Well, just as belonging to God is loving God, not belonging to Him is hating Him. You say, well, there's no gray area in between? No, there's really not. Scripture doesn't allow for that. God's people are those who love him. And those who are unsaved are those who hate him. They're called the adversaries in Scripture. Well, how do you know if you're one of God's people who love him, who truly loves the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind? 
Well, here's a quick little list for you. The person who demonstrates his love by meditating on God's glory. Psalm 18, 1-3. Do you meditate on God's glory? Do you trust in God's divine power? Psalm 31, 23. Do you seek fellowship with God? Psalm 63, 1-8. Do you love God's law? Psalm 119, verse, you know, you do the whole thing, but 165 is what I wrote down. Are you sensitive to how God feels? Psalm 69, 9 speaks of that. Do you love what God loves? Psalm 119, verse 72, verse 97, verse 103. Do you love whom God loves? 1 John 5, 1. Do you hate what God hates? Psalm 97, 10. Do you grieve over your sin? Matthew 26, 75. Do you reject the world? 1 John 2, 15. Do you long to be with Christ? 2 Timothy 4, 8. Do you obey God wholeheartedly? John 14, 21. That, that's just a brief outline of ways that you can look at those things and say, you know what? If I fall within the realm of those things, I grieve over my sin, I hate what God hates, I love what God loves. I reject the world. I long to be with Christ. I want to obey God wholeheartedly. Those are indicators that you are a believer, that you're following Christ. The one who truly loves God is the one who truly obeys God. Like Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, speaking of his love and his obedience is imperfect. His love is imperfect. But he says this in in Philippians chapter 3, he says, but I press on in order that he may lay hold of that which also he was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Pressing on to the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In other words, you know what? You're not going to perfect all those things, right? This Christianity thing is a work in process. We're always going to be a work in process. It's funny, sometimes you know, my wife and I will be discussing something and she'll bring up, you know, we've been married 19 years. And <laughs> I just want to go, so what? You think it, what, year 20? You know, all of a sudden it's just bliss and all the arguments go away or whatever. And that never happens ever again? No. You know, marriage is difficult. Difficult for anybody. But it's something that we think in our mind, well, the the more time, then no. The more time you're a Christian, you're not going to become impervious to sin. Hopefully you'll become more holy. Hopefully you'll become more Christ-like in your walk with Christ. You'll become more mature in your faith. You'll have a better understanding of the character of God and His Word, which will kind of bolster your your faith and your obedience to Him. But don't ever think that there's going to come a day you're going to wake up, your, open your eyes and get out of bed and say, hey, today's the day I'm going to be a perfect Christian. I'm not going to sin ever. It's not going to happen until that day when God comes back and we are glorified and we are in His presence. I mean, the great forgiver is also the great enabler, right? I mean, he, he allows us to live this life. It says in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, the love of God has been poured out within your hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. That's how we live this life. We don't live it on our own. I couldn't last two minutes in Christ without, without the Holy Spirit, without God's Word, without God's enabling. As a man, sometimes I'm thinking, well... Would you call that a crutch or what would you call that? Call it whatever you want. I really don't care. I just need God in my life every moment of every day because if I don't, I'm going to mess up. And he's given us the ability to do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. Even before Christ came to earth, God's way was the way of love, which was the way of obedience. See, so many times 
we think of love and obedience as two separate things. And they're really not, are they? If your children love you, what? They will obey you. That's, that's common sense. Now, are kids going to be kids? Sure. But you know what? When, it, when a child is just outright rebellious, and you ask them to do one thing, and they do the polar opposite, okay? After a while, you're going to figure out real quick, you know what? I got an issue with my kid. For some reason, they don't love me. They, they're not showing me love through their obedience. And so the Jews of Jesus' day should have been convicted by their lovelessness and their disobedience to this command. But you know what? Just like everything else, it went right over their head. And so Jesus, in his infinite wisdom, says, you know, I'm not going to just answer your question. I'm going to put an additional comment to my answer. And so in verse 39, he gives them basically, he answers the scribe and he says the first one is this and you love the lord your god with your heart with your soul with your mind mark says with your strength this is the great and first commandment if you do that and that alone is going to cover a lot of things but he says there's a second and it's this you shall love your neighbor as yourself you shall love your neighbor as yourself see surprisingly or not surprisingly i should say the second commandment has the same entity as the first. What? Love. Love is, is the main ingredient here. The command for genuine love of God, Jesus declared, is next followed by an importance by the command of love for your neighbor. And that is just as important as loving yourself. You know, a lot of Christians today, you, you think that they're walking around with ashes on their head and sulking and just sad and down. Oh, oh woe is me to... You know, there's no, there's no love of self there. Now, are we supposed to worship self? Are we supposed to exalt self? No. But you have to come to an understanding in your life that, you know what? God created you the person you are. He created you the way you look. He created you with the talents and gifts he's given you. He's created you with a personality. And who are you to stop and say, oh, I don't like this. I wish I was somebody else. I wish I had that. Or I wish I could do this. Or That's not how God created you, beloved. Don't try to be somebody else. Be yourself. And so he says here, love your neighbor as yourself. Problem is, a lot of us don't love ourselves to the point where we're not going to love our neighbors either. You know, some of us don't even know our neighbors, let alone love them. And you stop and you think about it. A genuine love for one's neighbor is the same kind of love that God has for us. And what he's saying is, your neighbor may be Jewish, he may be Gentile. Jesus is telling them, you don't distinguish that. You've got to love them as yourself. Well, how does that flesh out? Well, when a person is hungry, what do you do? You, you feed yourself, right? I mean, don't you? I mean, if you're hungry, you don't just you know, sit there and let your stomach growl when you have food in the kitchen to eat. I mean, you get up and you get yourself something to eat. Or you go out to eat or do whatever. When you're thirsty, what do you do? You take a glass of water. That's how you treat yourself. That's showing that you appreciate yourself. And so when you stop and think about it, you don't just sit there and think about food. That would drive you nuts. You don't just talk about it. The more you talk about it, the hungrier you get. You've got to get up and do something about it. That's why James chapter 2, verse 16 says a person never simply says to himself, go in peace and be warmed and filled, right? You don't do that. Ephesians five twenty nine says no one ever hated his own flesh, Paul says, but you nourish it, you cherish it. It's the temple of God, we're, we're told. And just as a person looks out for their own welfare and their own being, 
Jesus is saying, just as you love yourself, you should love your neighbor just as yourself. That's a basic two requirements. If you had to boil Christianity down to two things, that would be it. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Like I said, it's not rocket science, but it's something that somehow we fail to compute most of the time in our daily busy lives. And then Jesus here at the end, he says, on these two commandments, ride the whole law and the prophets. In other words, everything is, is hung on these two things. And that's what they were not getting. They thought as long as they dressed up in their robes and went out in the streets and prayed in front of everybody and were the respected rabbi or the teacher in the area, that somehow they got a pass on all this stuff. No. Jesus is saying, no, the one who does not love does not know God. 1 John chapter 4, for God is love. He who loves his neighbor, Paul says, has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, it's summed up in this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law, Romans 13. I mean, if people love perfectly, there'd be no need for the law. But that's not the case, is it? And so we have to understand that this man who came, this scribe, he came to Jesus And when he asked him this question, Mark tells us that he answered, the lawyer was impressed with Jesus' answer. Literally impressed. And this was a smart guy, obviously. And basically, what his answer back over in Mark, you can follow that, but he says, you know what? You have truly stated what is true. That's what he tells Jesus. And remember, he's in front of all these people. They're watching to love him, the Lord God, with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, to love your neighbor as yourself. You know what? That's a lot more than all these burnt offerings and sacrifices that these other people do and then bypass the whole thing. And in Mark chapter 12, it says, And when Jesus saw that he had answered intelligently, he said to him, here's what Jesus said to this lawyer at the conclusion of their conversation. You are not far from the kingdom of God. See, somehow this man was set apart from just the other religious people. There was something, maybe he had heard Jesus teach before. Maybe there was something that stirred in his heart. But for some reason, he was sent out on this mission to trick him up. But I think in the depth of his heart, he thought, you know what? (laughs) This is an impossible task. I've seen what this man has been able to do. Heal the blind, heal the sick, raise the dead. I mean, I I heard him as he kind of sent these other two groups away with their tail between their legs. I'm not going to be able to trip this man up, but I'm going to do what I was sent to do. And when he commends Jesus on his answer, Jesus answers back to him and says, you know what, you are not far. You're not in there yet, but you're not far from the kingdom of God. I ask you this morning, where are you in relationship to the kingdom of God? I pray that you're not far. I pray that you are part of, that you have come to understand who Christ is. That you're not like these Pharisees and these Sadducees who are just trying to trick Jesus. But I pray even if you're searching for the truth, don't stop. Don't stop until you find it. Because you're going to find it in Christ. In Christ alone. That's the only truth there is. Well, thank you for spending time with us here today on Graceful Truth, the ministry of Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. It's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. And we trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. 
If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. And if you would like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We meet at 2225 Euclid Avenue here in Redwood City. Directions are on our website, gracefultruth.org, or again, simply call 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. And again, we'd love to have you join us for worship. Simply call for directions or go to our website, gracefultruth.org. While you're at our website, make sure to check out the resource materials available from us here at Graceful Truth, including past programs of Graceful Truth that you can download for free. Gracefultruth.org is where to go. If you're writing to us, our address is 2225 Euclid Avenue. That's 2225 Euclid Avenue. We're here in Redwood City. The zip code is 94061. And again, our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We thank you for spending time with us today and trust we'll see you next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse.